Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, episode number 44. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, where we are building profitable food businesses, one product, one process, one thought at a time. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steel. Hello, everybody. Dr. P coming to you here for a podcast episode number 44. We are talking about testing and monitoring. How are you all today? I'm so excited because it is like one of those perfect August Maine days. And it's like every reason everybody comes to Maine in August. And guess what? I get to live here. And it's amazing. I'm so excited. So excited. And so let's talk about what we are talking about today. So we are doing testing and monitoring, which I know is like, woohoo, let's talk about testing and monitoring on a podcast. But you know, that's what we do around here. We do the hard work. We have the hard conversations. And I'm just back from the American Cheese Society Conference and the American Veterinary Medical Association Convention. And I've been talking with producers. I've been talking with regulators. And they are all so excited about the work that we are doing because they totally get how all of this work can change the world. And I'm so excited to be here changing the world with all y'all. So anyway, uh, as you know, we are recording the podcast live on Facebook these days because um, it's a way to bring interaction to the community. I'm so excited to be doing this. And uh, it gives all y'all a way to come and find me. You know, I have a lot of people on Facebook like say, hey, Dr. P, can I ask you a question? And the answer is yes. Come to Office Hours Live. So it's on the proofing box. Just put it in your search uh, uh, bar there on Facebook and you can find us. We have one simple question, uh, so which basically lets me know that you're not a bot. And we'd love to talk to you. So come on over and join us. Our community is new and growing and fun and interesting. We post new content every single day. And so some of that new content today is the podcast. And we're talking about testing and monitoring protocols. Protocols. And now I know what all y'all really think about this. Like you really don't even want to think about this. I talk testing and monitoring to my clients and they are like, oh my God, I can't even, I just, I don't even want to. <laughs> and that's not really how we do things around here. We show up to the work and I know you're like feeling confused and overwhelmed and in your confusion and overwhelm, all you're doing is avoiding your avoiding your testing and monitoring and you're living in ignorance. But I want to let you know it's like really doesn't have to be that way. We are here to help. You can feel super confident knowing that I'm here to help you with your testing and your monitoring. And if you want to take this work deeper, you know where to find me. We're, um, you can fill out an application. You can book a call is probably the easiest thing to do. And I'll tell you how to do that at the end of the, at the end of the episode. Um, and so let's just dive right on in. You know, testing and monitoring, it doesn't really 
have to be scary. I know that it has a lot more to do with quote science than most of you are comfortable with. Okay. It is the rare, though not totally unheard of person who gets into food manufacturing because they really, really loved biology class. <laughs> okay. Most of you all got into food manufacturing because you super loved making food and feeding people and how you felt when you did that and how you felt when they reacted to your food. But when you are in the middle of making wholesale food or you know, making food for the public, we've got to create ways that you know you're doing what you said you were gonna do. And that's where testing and monitoring come in. And my clients, they really, they just do this. I give them the ways to do this and I'm gonna be going over a couple of SOPs today so that you can understand what that actually means. And when you do finally show up and do this, it's going to really help you understand so many things. And the first thing that you're gonna understand is allowing yourself to be in confusion lets you stop yourself saying it's it's too overwhelming, it's too expensive, I don't wanna do it, allows you to let confusion to stop yourself and that's not what we are about here. When you decide confusion is the enemy and you never say I don't know and you always say I am figuring it out and then you actually go and figure it out, you're gonna have massive benefits in your life. You're gonna make decisions faster and you know I say making decisions faster always means, always, every day of the week and twice on Sunday, means making more money. And if you are confused about what decision to make, always go with what seems simple. Now, not all testing protocols are simple, I'm not gonna lie, and you have to do them correctly, all right? But they don't have to be as confusing as overwhelming as you make them, all right? When you make your decisions faster, you are going to build self-confidence. Now, I wanna tell you, the commitment comes first and the confidence comes second, all the time. All the time, commitment first, confidence second. You're never gonna have the confidence to do things you've never done before, before you've done them, <laughs> okay? I know that sounds super weird, but but you've, you've gotta commit first and know that confidence is coming. And that's how I do everything in my life. I commit first. You're gonna have physical benefits, really, from doing a testing and monitoring program because the physical benefits of a good night's sleep because you're not tossing and turning wondering what the hell is going on in your facility hard to overstate my friends all right and you're going to know that you're protecting your food and your workers you're you're protecting your buildings you know rust is not just a harborage for listeria rust actually ruins your building that you invested so much money in or pay so much rent on maybe don't do that, <laughs> okay? And so I know that's, that confusion can be so overwhelming and I know that's where you are and we're gonna clear all that shit up today, all right? And we're gonna start by understanding what monitoring is, okay? Monitoring has a legal definition, actually, if you have documented food safety plans. So those are, those are all y'all with preventive controls plans, with fisheries asset plans, 
with meat and poultry HACCP plans or food code HACCP plans, all right? Monitoring is a planned sequence of events that shows that you've met a critical limit. That is the legal definition of monitoring. Monitoring all has common characteristics. You do monitoring at the time when you observe something. You have that time recorded. You have people who um, initial, all right, and they write down their observations. And then if your observations that you write on your monitoring documentation don't meet your critical limit, you do something about it. <laughs> okay. Now, there are, so that's where, honestly, your testing program starts. And that's why we cover testing and monitoring at the same time. Because your testing program helps you understand whether or not you're monitoring the right things, okay, and that you're controlling hazards. Because if you are monitoring, by definition, you have a critical limit. If you have a critical limit, by definition, you have a hazard. Now, whether that hazard is being controlled by a preventive control or a critical control point sort of depends on who's regulating you, all right? We're not getting into that here. If you have questions about, you know, do you need a HACCP or a preventive controls plan or whatever, by all means, join us on the proving box, ask there, happy to answer that question, okay? But if you are monitoring, you by definition have a critical limit, no matter if it's a sanitary or a sanitation preventive control, an allergen preventive control, or a cooling preventive control. There is monitoring associated with it. All right. Now you test to make sure that your monitoring is effective. Okay. So there, are, but we test for hazards by and large, or we test for marker organisms that give us an indication whether or not hazards are present. There, we don't test for all hazards. So, you know, in that cooling example, we cool our meat according to Appendix B so that we can control for Clostridium perfringens. We do not test for Clostridium perfringens and we don't test for Clostridium perfringens toxins because the test is super expensive. And FSIS, the Food Safety Inspection Service, has told us that if we cool according to Appendix B, we know we haven't created more than, I think it's one log increase in Clostridium perfringens in your product as it cools. So what does this tell us? One, it tells us we already know Clostridium perfringens is there. And two, it tells us a, one log, so a log is, is um, uh, 10 units of something, right? Um, is not meaningful, okay? Is Clostridium perfringens meaningful? Absolutely, it totally causes foodborne illness. But if you have zero in it and you increase it a log, so you go from zero colony forming units per gram to 10 colony forming units per gram, it doesn't make anybody sick, okay? So we don't test for that though, because really the test for Clostridia is super expensive, all right? And that's okay. There are other things that we test for when we look at that, and there are other things that we monitor. All right, so that's just an example, okay, of what it is, of what it is that we are talking about. So when we look at, at, at testing, I wanna draw your attention to two very, very common kinds of testing, all right? The 
first kind of testing is shigatoxin E. coli testing in USDA regulated facilities, okay? This is one kind of E. coli testing, all right? Specifically for our, our, our shigatoxin E. coli serovars, all right? So shigatoxin E. coli is a bacteria that occurs in, by and large, ruminant animals, doesn't make them sick, comes into the food supply, makes people very, very sick, especially children. It can cause their kidneys to shut down. The jack-in-the-box recall that happened in the early 90s that led us into the pathogen reduction rule, or the mega reg as we call it in 96, and led to HACCP planning in all of our meat and poultry establishments, that jack-in-the-box recall was around shigatoxin E. coli. Shigatoxin E. coli occurs in the meat when we have fecal contamination in the meat. End of story, okay? Don't eat the poop. And N60 testing tells us whether or not we are serving poop to our customers. So N60 testing is done on beef trim, all right? And it's N is a sample number. That's how we determine, that's like how we denote sample numbers in statistics. Okay, so N60 is, uh, so it's, a, it's actually not a sample number, it's a population. N is your population. So, you know, I think there are, the population in the United States is mm, 360, 380 million. That's a population size. Population size is N. So in N60 texting, our population size is 60 pieces of beef trim. All right, we are determining we are determining that in our facilities because that's what FSIS does. And I always like to catch problems before FSIS catches them, okay? So I'm gonna talk to you, I'm gonna actually go through the standard operating procedure that I give my clients when they join my power group. You don't have to, you are not on your own. You don't have to do this all by yourself if you join the power group. So like book a call, I'll tell you how to do that. But here's the idea. First thing that we do to do N60 testing is we do something called sanitary sampling. You wash your hands, all right? Remember, don't eat the poop. Well, we don't eat the poop by washing our hands. We don't contaminate things with poop by washing our hands. You're gonna put on clean gloves and you're gonna wear clean smocking, all right? Then what most of my clients do is they determine, most of my clients have a day's worth of production be the lot. If you have other ways that you determine lots, you've just got to know that, okay? <laughs> have other ways to determine lots, it's fine. Whatever your lot size is or, or your lot day is, don't have it be more than a day. Don't have it be more than one clean cycle to one clean cycle. You must write down your lots on your chains of custody. Your chain of custody is something that you're gonna get from your laboratory, right? Lot numbers go on your chain of custody. Work with your laboratory on your chain of custody. You are going to collect 60 samples, approximately one inch wide, three inches long, and an eighth of an inch thick from the original external surface of your carcass. Is that trimming off a lot of your carcass? Yes, but you trim your carcasses anyway. So that's why we call it beef trim. <laughs> 60 specimens from each lot randomly selected from either on the carcass or the number of carcasses or the barrels or the product that's on the table, 
All right. So that's what you're going to do. You're going to, you're going to put all of that in what we call a world pack bag. You can get that from your lab. So I'm going to go through how you actually do this. You are going to sanitize all of your equipment. We, you know, we do, we do like, I have people like buy caddies, you know, those roller caddies. You're going to have knives. You probably may have hooks. You may have bus tubs. You're going to sanitize all that as if it was being used for production. So clean it, make sure your soap stays on there for seven to 12 minutes, rinse the soap off, apply your sanitizer, do not rinse off, get to work. You're going to trim each product, all right, and you're going to put, you're, you're, going to, you're going to trim it and you're going to add identification, all right, and then you have to put everything on QA hold. So make sure you have your QA hold tags. FSIS requires test and hold when you do N60 testing. Okay, you're going to go and you're going to label sterile Whirlpack bags with that lot ID. All right, whatever your day's production ID, however you decide. Um, all right, then you're gonna wash and sanitize your hands and put on gloves, making sure not to touch anything. I recommend sanitizing your gloves pretty often while you do this. All right, you're gonna open up your roll pack bag and you're gonna collect your sample. So you put your hook in and you, and you collect your sample and you drop it in the bag. Collect your sample, drop it in the, drop it in the bag, okay? Um, if you are doing this, so that's if your carcasses are hanging up. If you are collecting from trim that's already, um, already been trimmed, you've gotta prevent your line, uh, your line employees from cross-contaminating that, all right? So take that away from them and go and sample from there. All right, and then what you're gonna do is, is you're gonna, once you have 60 pieces, you're gonna press all of the air out of it, and, and you're going to roll the bag down like I <laughs> I learned this in a lab in a lab where if you accordion pleat it from um, the bottom up you'll um, you'll expel the air as you go up you're going to seal it all right you're going to document everything on your chain of custody you're going to keep it cold you are going to pack it and you are going to um, send it out to the lab now we never do this on a Friday, right? Don't ever collect lab samples on a Friday unless you wanna pay expedited shipping and uh, expedited fees for the lab to test on Saturday. Now your lab may test on Saturday, I don't know. Better talk to them before you decide to send stuff to them on a Saturday, all right? So you have to clearly identify that that product, that day's production is on hold. This is a requirement by FSIS. Okay, that hold, you know, you can, that hold doesn't mean you have to hold the carcass, okay? You can go and you can bone out the carcass, you can do your real retail cuts. I wouldn't do much past that. I, I would make primals or subprimals or retail cuts and you put it on hold, um, you put it on hold and then you just leave it there and you hold until test results are known. Once your test resu results are known, you can either do a product release and go about your daily business. If you have a positive, we reconfirm. All right, that's the first thing that you're gonna do is you're gonna reconfirm, 
Okay. And then you're going to call me. <laughs> That's so that is sugar toxin E. coli testing. That's like the bones of sugar toxin E. coli testing. There is more to do with it. Okay. In case you have a positive and things like that, but that is the bones of N60 testing. All right. The most important thing is that you get the sample size, right? You do it with sterile technique and you, for heaven's sakes, fill out your chains of custody, right? And good Lord, do not release that product uh, until you get a negative back. Okay, and that goes for when FSIS does N60 testing on their own. They will put your product on hold while they are waiting for testing. All right, so that's N60 testing for shigatoxin E. coli. Next, I want to talk about listeria testing and do some environmental monitoring conversation because anybody who creates a ready-to-eat food has to do this kind of testing, all right? Now, this kind of testing requires swabbing kits from your lab. So the first thing really that you're gonna do if you're in a ready-to-eat facility is you have to establish a relationship with a laboratory. I have a great lab that I work with in Philadelphia who I love very much, shout out to Invisible Sentinel. All right, they are great guys there. They truly know what they're doing. If you want their contact information, just get in touch with me. All right, they will send out, they, any other lab will send out these Listeria swabbing kits, probably also along with chains of custody. I will tell you, most chains of custody are online, which is way easier. All right, so when you do Listeria swabbing in a ready-to-eat facility, you need to have Listeria swabbing kits and chains of custody. What you are going to do then is sounds a lot like how you do the N60 testing, except we're not taking, you know, in, in the example that I'm doing, we're doing environmentals and not product testing. So I want to make that super clear. This is environmentals and not product testing for Listeria swabbing. So then the, then, then once you have your Listeria swabbing kits on order, Okay, and then you have your chains of custody coming. The next thing I need you to do is measure the number of square inches of food contact surface in your facility. Get yourself a, a ruler, okay, and measure that stuff out, all right? You will be surprised at how many square inches you have. It should be in the six figures, if not high six figures and seven figures, <laughs> okay? If you have things that are small, assume those are 144 square inches. So all of your knives, tack them in at 144 square inches. Take all of those food contact surfaces and put them on a spreadsheet. Name them. Knife or knife. I guess you would do, probably wouldn't do knives individually. You do, um, you do knives, six knives, 144 square inches. Uh, and then whatever 144 times times six is, okay? Your tables, your slicer, uh, if you have a slicer, your vacuum pack machine, the square inches of all of that, put that in your testing spreadsheet, all right? Then what you're gonna do is, is you're gonna use the sample size calculator, all right? And you're going to put in, so just Google sample size calculator, and then your population. So remember our N60, where N was the, the, the 60 pieces of, of product? Well, your N in environmental, in this environmental testing is the number of square inches of your food contact surfaces in your facility. So you're gonna put that in, that is your population size. Your confidence interval, put it at 95%, 
and a 5% confidence level. So this means you are 95% sure, plus or minus 5% that you are actually going to find a problem if it is there. This is going to barf out a number for you, okay? That number is probably going to be, because this is how the statistics work, between 360 and 400 square inches, all right? Next thing about listeria sampling, we do listeria sampling in 12 by 12 squares. That's 144 square inches, right? So if you have, say for example, 384 square inches of food contact surface, that, that's the equivalent of three 12 by 12 samples, all right, plus three sample areas under the 12 by 12 limit, all right? And that's what you are going to test. So you, what you do, and this is, this is how the testing actually works, okay? You sanitize all your, your, remember your caddy and all of that sort of stuff, all right? 90 minutes after production starts, because that is when you are most likely to get listeria, 90 minutes after production starts, I want you to go into your production environment with your listeria sampling kits, okay? And your chains of custody. And you are going to swab and you are going to take your swab, all right, and you are going to mark out like a 12 by 12 area. And you can, there are people who, um, you can create, um, uh, you can create like a, a square for doing this or you can eyeball it, but eyeball it really well and go bigger if you don't know. And you're going to take your swab and this is why we're doing this online over Facebook. You are going to take one side of the swab and you are going to go left to right and down and left to right and down and left to right and down and left to right and down. If you need a picture of this, go join the proofing box and watch us there. And then you are going to flip your swab over and you are going to go in 12 inches, bottom to top, over, top to bottom, over, bottom to top, over until you have covered 144 square inches, all right? In this example, we would use three swabs and do that three times, and then we would go, okay, and we would swab things that are under 144 square inches, so like one knife, all right? Up one side of the knife, flip it over, down one side of the knife. You get the idea, right? You take Each one of those swabs goes into an individual bag. Each one of those bags needs to be labeled with the date and, you know, swab one, swab two, swab three, swab four, all of that needs to go on your uh, chain of custody, okay? Then you pack all of that stuff up and you send it off to your lab, okay? And you let you, you know, usually we email the lab, let them know that it is coming, all right? If you are swabbing like that in a... FSIS facility, you must put that product on hold while you wait for results. Results normally take 48 hours. In an FDA environment, we don't need to test and hold. And so it's up to you to understand what your risk tolerance is. If you have a high risk tolerance, send that shit out. Okay. If you are super confident in your cleaning protocols, knock yourself out and have and, and, and just send stuff out without putting it on hold. If you are not, put it on hold, you'll have results back in 48 hours. If you get it, so the first thing, so then the next thing I wanna tell you is you should be testing for listeria species on environmental swabs. If your listeria species comes back positive, you retest, all right, and then you speciate. 
if you have questions about that, get in touch with me. <laughs> okay. But that's the, that's basically what we do. Then if it turns up to have mono listeria monocytogenes, then we have to figure that out. Okay. So that is N60 and that is listeria testing. This is the kind of stuff that we do here. If you have questions, I would love it if you like booked a call with me. We'll talk about bringing you into the program so that you can understand this and you can do it and learn how to do it on your own. And that's what we have for you for the podcast today. You guys have been great. Uh, if you have any questions, of course, let me know. And we will see you next week. Thanks so much. Go to sfbdi.com slash application call, and that's how you get on the phone with me. It is like truly that easy. I love talking to people. I love you all. Have an amazing week, and I'll see you next week. Bye, guys. You've been listening to Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele on the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast. We hope you loved the show. For more information and show notes, please find us at sfbdi.com. Thanks for listening.